Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading for April 1st, 2020, and that's the truth. That's no fooling. Today we're looking at Romans chapters 5 and 6. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces patient endurance, and patient endurance produces tested character, and tested character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For at the appointed time, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly, It is rare indeed that someone will die for a righteous person. Perhaps someone might actually go so far as to die for a person who has been good to him. But God shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, it is even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, it is even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only is this so, but we also go on rejoicing confidently in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received this reconciliation. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people, because all sinned. For even before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now, sin is not charged to one's account if there is no law, and yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace, and the gift given by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment that followed the one trespass resulted in a verdict of condemnation, but the gracious gift that followed many trespasses resulted in a verdict of justification. Indeed, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, it is even more certain that those who receive the overflowing grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, Just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will become righteous. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace overflowed much more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him, 
to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin, and since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer the members of your body to sin as tools of unrighteousness. Instead, offer yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and offer the members of your body to God as tools of righteousness. Indeed, sin will not continue to control you because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we continue to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to obey someone as slaves, you are slaves of the one you are obeying, whether slaves of sin resulting in death or slaves of obedience resulting in righteousness? Thanks be to God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the pattern of the teaching into which you were placed. After you were set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in a human way because of the weakness of your flesh. Indeed, just as you offered your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in more lawlessness, so now offer your members in the same way as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. So what kind of fruit did you have then? They were things of which you are now ashamed. Yes, the final result of those things is death. But now, since you were set free from sin and have become slaves to God, you have your fruit resulting in sanctification, and the final result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the undeserved gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our God. Here in chapters 5 and 6, Paul expounds on the theme that began halfway through chapter 3 as he begins to unpack what justification really means and what it all entails. Um, After he has proven in chapter 4 that justification is given through faith or bestowed through faith apart from works, and the example there, uh, the first example, the prime example, is that Abraham was justified while he was uncircumcised before circumcision came. That was the the difference between chapter 12 and chapter 17 of the book of Genesis. Um, So that's kind of the first main point. But then we get into chapter 5. And I, we have to pause for a moment just at these first first five verses, um, because Paul begins with all these these therefores, and it, it, that word therefore crops up a couple of times throughout this entire reading. And the memory hook that we always have, or that you know we get reminded of, is whenever you see a therefore, especially when you're here in the New Testament, which is most of the time when you when you see it, you have to ask, what's it there for? So verse five, what's it or Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what's it there for? Well, he's building on the truth that since Jesus was raised from the dead, you have been declared justified. And since this is the case, the result is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And standing by faith, through faith, we stand in grace. That is, we stand under God's undeserved love. Um, And that is that that standing, that status under God's undeserved love is totally apart from our doing, apart from all of our works. And we rejoice confidently 
on the basis of our hope. So that, you know, when what he says there at the end of verse 2, we rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope. Um, you know what the next life holds for you. You know what happens after your soul and body separate. And that's something worth rejoicing about every day, that even the, the greatest of joys in this world will pale in comparison to the eternal joys that Jesus has planned for you in heaven. And so there's every reason to rejoice confidently, no matter the circumstances. Um, but then after raising our eyes to the heavens, in verse 2, Paul lowers our eyes and brings our eyes back down to earth. Because he says, well, we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings. That since, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, and since we have peace with God, and since we stand in grace, we rejoice in everything, especially in our sufferings. Because he says, you know, suffering produces patient endurance. Patient endurance produces tested character. Tested character produces hope. In other words, the suffering and the pain and the, the worry and the wondering that you experience in this life as a Christian, God has a divine purpose for that. God has the divine purpose of you learning for yourself and seeing for yourself that, that God's goodness doesn't depend on what he allows or what he sends, but God's goodness is sure and certain and unshakable in in every circumstance. Even some of our hymns, um, some of our hymns touch on this idea. You know, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide my, myself in thee. Um, built on the rock, the church shall stand, even while steeples are falling. Um, no fear, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Um, be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. The wind and the waves still know the voice of him who stilled them while he was here below. All of those, all of those verses, all of those hymns, and many others much like them, referring to the fact that since you stand in grace, you have peace with God. Not just, not just when everything around you is at peace and not when your own heart is at peace, but you have peace with God and you can rest at peace even and especially when everything around you is not at peace. And Paul's amazing point is that this suffering that you experience, this heartache, this pain, this guilt that you carry is something that God wants to use as a blessing for you that he wants you to learn and to see for yourself, his grace is sufficient and his promises will always stand firm. And even if, even if the ground itself is shaking underneath your feet, you have nothing to fear because you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse, that's what he says. Um, and, and that's kind of the other, the other point here, that it's that experience of the promises of God colliding with the pain of this world and that kind of, you know, war going back and forth in our hearts. It's that experience. And through that experience, as the word of God is applied to the worry of life, that God builds Christians, that God builds you, that you see for yourself that God is trustworthy, not just when things are going well, but also, and especially when things are not going well. And verse 5, that's what he says, hope will not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And then the rest of this chapter 5 um, talks about, you know, standing in the presence of God, uh, that Christ died for us, that we have been reconciled to God. And the point that he makes um, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter, through the end of chapter 5 here, is that 
God held all people accountable of Adam's sin. I think after I get this this episode loaded up, um, I'll upload a sermon that I had a little bit ago that I preached on this exact section from Romans chapter 5. And it's it's definitely worthwhile. It's something that takes a little bit more time to unpack, but I want to get to chapter 6 because if I had a favorite chapter in the Bible, I know I've said this probably a dozen times, chapter 6 would definitely be in the running. Um, I said that about probably a dozen other chapters as well. Anyway, chapter so chapter 5, he makes the overarching point that the fact that people die proves that they are sinful. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead proves that God has declared all people to be not guilty. All people. And that verdict of not guilty, that grace of God, that ongoing attitude of, of forgiveness from God is made yours through faith. And so, you know, one thing that we want to warn against, especially when we talk about this, um, justification, you know, God's declaration of not guilty, we, our big fancy church word for that is justification. Justification applies to all people. All people have been justified, but if they don't know about it, then it does them no good. That justification, that verdict of justification is received through faith. So even though all people have been justified, and even though the sins of all people have been forgiven in Christ, that doesn't mean that all people are going to heaven. That would be universalism. Um, But it does mean their sin has been forgiven. And so there are people going to hell, or are, are people who are, have gone to hell, who forfeited the forgiveness that Jesus won. And they forfeited that forgiveness through their unbelief. That, you know, horror of horrors, they are there paying for their own debt of unholiness. And Jesus Christ himself had already paid it. But in their unbelief, they turned their backs on God and said, no thanks, it's on me. But the promise for you and me is that because you are a human, you can say that Jesus has forgiven my sin. And that leads us directly into chapter 6 that you can say with absolute confidence that I have been buried and raised with Jesus. Um, I love, you know, one of the reasons I love this, this chapter is because a portion of it is inscribed on our baptismal font here at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Maumee, Ohio. Um, buried with Jesus and raised in his resurrection or something like that. Because in baptism, what Jesus accomplished for all people, that verdict of not guilty, that verdict of forgiveness accomplished through his resurrection um, is now applied individually to hearts. And through this baptism, um, you have a new life with Christ. And through and the, the really cool thing about chapter 6 is um, that we have to notice is there's this, when you talk about English verbs, when you talk about verbs, you know, like an action word, um, there's a type of verb called an imperative. An imperative is a command like do this or don't do that. And there is no imperative in chapter 6 until we get to verse 11. In the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So chapter 6, he asks the same question. Um, if this, this verdict of not guilty, and if this overarching forgiveness is as wonderful and as great as you say it is, Apostle Paul, then what would stop me from sinning? I should just go on sinning because um, God's going to forgive me. I should just go on sinning because if I go on sinning, then, then it amplifies and it demonstrates God's grace and God's goodness and God's glory because look at how much more sin he has to forgive. He gets to forgive. 
And Paul addresses that from the very beginning. Verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Should I sin it up so that God can grace it up? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go living on it in any longer? And, and so he gets, first of all, to the spiritual reality that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And the fact that you are baptized means that your sinful flesh has been put to death. He comes back every day, but you were buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we also would walk in a new life. All these are statements of fact, all the way from, um, from verse, verse 2 through verse 10. If you're looking at your paper Bible, verses two through verse 10 is all, are all verbs that are statements of fact. This happened. This happened. There's no image of, uh, of metaphor. There's no sense of a simile or of just a mere illustration. Or think of it like this. He's talking about spiritual reality, spiritual facts. You were buried. You were raised. You walk. You have been united, verse 5, with him in the likeness of his death. You will be united in the likeness of his resurrection because you have been raised with him. So we know that our old self was crucified with him so that, so that our, to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin, talking about the sinful flesh within us. And this is an absolutely vital point. Um, I use this very often. This is one of my favorite portions um, when somebody comes to me and says, you know, confesses or says, you know, pastor, I'm really struggling this with this one particular sin. I just can't beat it. And it drives me crazy because what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't do, I keep on doing. We'll get to that in chapter 7. But here in chapter 6, I have the privilege of saying, well, let's open up to Romans chapter 6. Have you been baptized? Well, yes, of course I have. Pastor, you baptized me. Or, yeah, I was. I know I was. Um, and what Paul says here is that in baptism, he killed the sinful flesh. He took the teeth out of the lion, um, you know, like like Yukon Cornelius in um, in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, taking the teeth out of the abominable snowman. There's nothing to fear. He took the teeth out of the sinful flesh, and he raised you with Jesus. We died with Christ. We will also live with him. We have been declared free from sin. Um, your sinful flesh was crucified with Jesus. So that, you know, that temptation you're feeling, it's a real temptation, but you don't have to listen to sin because sin and temptation isn't your boss. You aren't a slave to sin. Uh, you've been raised from the dead and the enemies of Jesus can't rebury him. <laughs> Jesus has been raised and he can't be buried again. And so the, the command that we have in verse 11 and verse 12, the imperatives, um, verse 11, in the same way, because you have been raised with him, because you, your sinful flesh died with him and you have a new life with him in the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For this reason, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And he goes on to make applications. Um, this is how you should live. Why? Because you've been raised with Jesus. You've been given new life with Christ. Verse 17 is a, a wonderful summary. Thanks be to God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to the pattern of teaching into which you were placed. You've been set free from sin for righteousness. And the beautiful summary um, 
verse 22 or 23. And keeping in context, you know, this is a very familiar verse, Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the undeserved gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Very familiar verse. And you can use that in a lot of different contexts, but we need to remember its primary context is talking about baptism. Talking about baptism here, that the undeserved gift of God, that is eternal life, has been given to you and bestowed upon you, um, pronounced over your head and planted in your heart through holy baptism. That is the gift that God has given to you, that you died with Jesus, you've been raised with Jesus, you have life with him today and forever. So, drawing it all together, what God accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the truth that your sin has been forgiven. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. You're a person. And Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is also a person, a human. And since he was raised from the dead, you have been declared not guilty. And God applied this verdict to you in holy baptism. I don't care how long ago it was, whether it was 70 years or 80 years or seven or eight days ago. In holy baptism, God applied this to you. And baptism is God's work for you. And so you've been raised with Jesus. As you go about your day, how does that change your perspective? That you've been given life with Jesus. That the resurrection of Jesus means that you have life with him today and forever. That through your baptism, you stand today and always under the grace of God who has promised to never leave you nor forsake you, who has promised to use every element of pain or suffering in this life for your eternal good, and so that you learn from your own experience in your own life that this Jesus is trustworthy and that you have hope. That kind of summarizes everything for today. Thanks for joining us. Um, If you have a moment, hit that share button and share this with a friend. I'll upload the sermon on Romans chapter 5, talking about the first man and the second man. And also in today's show notes, um, there should be a link for a devotional booklet on Romans chapter 6. I wrote this a few years ago, um, you know, stealing quite a bit from my brother's exegetical paper on Romans chapter 6. And he's noted in the in the credits, of course. But give it a read. Um, it was originally intended as a Lenten booklet. We're in the season of Lent. Um, a little bit late to get started on it, but... He drew out, he drew out some, uh, some good points from Romans chapter 6, and hopefully I did as well. God bless your day.